turn with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. If you're wondering where Mark is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. Mark chapter 2. Mark is the second book in your New Testament. We're looking at Mark chapter 2 this morning. We're going to look at verses 18 to 22. And uh, before we read scripture this morning, how many of you guys know that here at Thrive we're doing a series? It's called Faith Journey. Everyone say Faith Journey. And why do we call the series Faith Journey? It's because whether you believe it or not, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, whether you consider yourself religious or not, whether you go to church regularly or not, the fact is that every single one of us is on a faith journey. The fact is that every single one of us is trying to figure out our next step in life, whether it's regarding relationships or it's regarding your career or your studies or your future direction. And the fact is this, I don't know about you, but when I find that when I'm making that next step, I'm trying to decide what to do about that next step in my life, I find that's kind of a hard decision to make because sometimes, no matter how much research you do, no matter how much advice you seek, no matter even how much you pray, there's always going to be this element of uncertainty. There's always going to be this element of risk. There's always going to be this element of faith where you have to take a step of faith and hope for the best as you go forward. And see, what kind of faith, what kind of steps forward do we take that can lead to a good result? Faith that pleases God, faith that results not just in you being blessed, but the people around you. This is what we're talking about here in this series called Faith Journey. Have you guys enjoyed our series called Faith Journey so far? Yeah, we've had a great time in the series throughout the summer, and we're glad to go into episode 9 today of our Faith Journey series. And to do that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. Would you all stand with me as we read the Word of God together this morning? Help me preach in this place this morning as we stand. Let's read this in a big, loud voice. Let's read it together right now. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Before you take your seats, would you turn to the people around you, and as you give them a high five, would you, with a smile on your face, tell them the message title for today's sermon? Could you tell them, I'm making room? Turn to that person right now, give them a high five, and say, I'm making room. I'm making room. Find another person. Tell them that right now. I'm making room. Please have your seats. This month has been an intense month for us here at Thrive. Usually August is a time when I take a bit of a break uh, from preaching about 30-plus sermons during the year. It's a time when we focus on planning for the brand new year starting in September. It's a time when maybe I'll try to go on vacation if we can. But this past month of August has been one that has been unexpectedly uh, intense for us. Many of you guys know that we had uh, someone in our church, someone very, very dear to us, who passed away quite suddenly. And so it was the first time here in our church in 12 years, first time that we did a memorial service for anybody. Uh, we also did a wedding. My cousin passed away in the uh, States, and so I had to travel to the U.S. and officiate his funeral as well. Uh, we've done funerals. We've done weddings. We just did a baptism service. We're just missing a baby dedication right now, basically, aren't we? Anyone want to dedicate a child today? Anyone? No? No, no that's okay. The fact is this. is Speaking of children, uh, we'd like to hear something kind of funny that will hopefully lighten up your spirits this morning. You guys want to hear something? You guys want to hear something? Yeah? All right. Well, here you go. Let me hopefully share something that's going to put a smile on your face. When you grew up as a kid, did you have a favorite toy that you liked to play with? Maybe it was a G.I. Joe or a doll or maybe some train set that you used to really love. You know, I've got two sons, two boys. One is seven, one is one. And growing up, my older son, Bradley, he had a favorite toy. Do you know what that favorite toy was? Well, 
let me just put it this way, whenever we'd go to Toys R Us, he'd always want this one toy. It wasn't G.I. Joe, it wasn't Transformers, it wasn't video games yet, it wasn't any of those things. You know what he wanted? He wanted magnetic ABCs. He was so into the alphabet in those first few years, so much so that he had all these sets of ABCs, and every time we went to any toy store, he just wanted the same thing, I want ABCs. And uh, even to the point where, I remember there was one time when he was taking a bath, and uh, he was starting to bathe by himself, and I remember he's in this big bathtub, and he's got all these foamy ABCs all around him. He's got like 26 letters around him, like floating in the water. I can still remember this, is, and I, I even have a video of it, is where he will take each letter one by one, and he'll do something with it. He'll take the letter A, and while he's sitting in the bathtub, he'll go, I love you, A. Mwah. And he'll take the letter B, he'll go, I love you, B. Mwah. And he'll take the letter C, I love you, C. Mwah. He'll do that for all 26 letters. I, I even have video of it. I plan to show it at his wedding one day. And it's because he just loves ABC so much. And so when our younger son, Caleb, was born, I was really curious, what's going to be his favorite toy? And let me tell you, at one year old, his favorite toy is not ABCs. His favorite toy is not G.I. Joe. His favorite toy is not some doll, uh, not, definitely not some video game. His favorite toy is he's really into containers. Yeah, containers. So in other words, when I want to play with him and we bring him downstairs from his bedroom, when he sees the living room with all these normal baby toys that babies are supposed to play with, he just crawls past the living room. And he goes into the kitchen to our container drawer. And he opens the container drawer, and he's just all about these different cups and, and you know, lunch boxes and Tupperware and, and containers. He's all about that. And for me, I think it's great. It, be, it means that you know, when we're shopping for kitchen utensils and we're shopping for toys, we can just go to the same place. Right? We can go to Ikea, we can go to the container store in the US. I'm even thinking that for his next birthday, we, we might even have a, a Tupperware party for his next birthday because he's just so into containers. Why do I mention all this to you guys today? Because Caleb's interest in Tupperware and containers has really gotten me thinking lately about the importance of containers in my life and especially in my faith. I don't know about you, but I find that every day I've got a lot of stuff to carry. Do you ever find that yourself? Some of you guys carry very heavy backpacks, so I know you've got a lot to carry. But for me, I've got, all, I've got all this stuff. I've got my phone, I've got my wallet, I've got my keys, I've got my laptop, I've got all these things. And for the longest time, I didn't you know, use anything to carry them in. I'd just kind of put them in my pockets, I'd kind of squeeze them against my body, and oftentimes I'd have so much stuff to carry that I'd be dropping stuff. Sometimes I'd be carrying so much that I'm kind of walking in a funny way, it looks like I want to desperately go to the bathroom or something. It's just one of those things where I just so, had so much stuff to carry, and I realized, you know what, a container would make things so much easier for me to carry this stuff. Another thing about me that you maybe not know is for the longest time, I've been notorious about losing things. Have you ever been that way before? It's like you're about to leave the house and you're, oh man, I can't find my phone. Hey, can you call my phone? I can't find my phone. Have you ever had that before? Can't find your keys, can't find your wallet. I was notorious for that for years. Finally, I was like, you know what? I need an easier way to carry my stuff and not lose my stuff. And so what I did was I bought, went on Amazon.com or Amazon.ca and I uh, invested in my own pack. And it's one of those things that you can drape across your shoulder this way. It's a little pack where you can put all your stuff in it. If you want to call it a man purse, fine. It's a man purse, okay? But I'm not ashamed because it's so useful. I find that this container helps me to keep myself organized. This container helps me to not lose things so easily. This container is so much easier for me to carry my stuff in. And why do I mention all this stuff about containers this morning? It's because believe it or not, on the faith journey that you are on, you have a God container. Everyone say, a God container. We all have a God container. See, over time, 
each of us, we develop what I call a God container. Your God container is what you use to make sense of who God is. It's what you use to relate to God if you do it all. Like any normal container, your God container is what you use to carry something that's important to you. In this case, your faith and not lose what you have. And, and see, here's the thing. What is a God container? Here, I want you to write down what a God container is. Let me give you a little definition if you're still not clear. Your God container, you can write this down, is the amount of room you give God to reign and to work in your life. And for some of you, you maybe have a really big God container. Maybe for some of you have a really small God container. But see, just as any container has three dimensions, it's got height, it's got width, it's got length, you're going to find that your God container also has at least three dimensions. And these three dimensions are going to affect the size and the quality of the God container that you have. It's going to affect how much room you have given to God to work and to reign in your life. Let me go through these three dimensions real quick. The first dimension of your God container is what you believe about God. It's your beliefs. In other words, do you believe in God? You know, do you believe he's there? Do you believe he cares? Do you believe that he's out there just to judge you and to get you and to laugh at you when you fall? Do you believe he loves you? See, your beliefs about God will in many ways determine how much room you give God to work in your life. It's one dimension of your God container. It's your beliefs. Everyone say beliefs. The second dimension of your God container is how you personally relate to God. This is not talking about what you think about God. This is about how you relate to God. It's your relationship with him. Is it? Do you spend time getting to know this God that you believe in? Do you pray? If you do pray, how do you pray? When you pray, are you just the type to kind of just give God a whole laundry list of the stuff you want? God, give me a hot girlfriend. God, give me a nicer car. God, give me a better paying job. God, give me a bigger house. And you just kind of list all this stuff that you want God to give you, almost like a heavenly Santa Claus, and, but you don't really take time to listen to him or what do when you pray do you take the time to listen it's not just a one-way thing but you actually sit and you'll try to seek God out on what he wants for your life how do you relate to him do you go to church do you worship God do you read your Bible in an effort to get to know God better see these are all re regarding the second dimension of your God container which is the way you relate to God there's a third dimension to your God container it's how you live for God here we're talking about your lifestyle is that no matter what you believe and no matter even how much time you spend with God, when it comes to your normal day-to-day, -day, the way you live, the way you speak, the way you think, the way you interact with others, do you do so in ways where you're trying to please God, where you're trying to align yourself with what you think God wants for your life, or is it more just something where no matter what you believe about God, and even no matter you know whether or not you go to church or whether or not you relate to God at all, you just kind of, do, in your day-to-day -day normal activity, you just kind of do whatever you want to do. You say whatever you want to say. You think whatever you want to think, and it's kind of like, you know, it's my body, it's my time, it's my money, it's what I want to do. It's my life, and I, I'm just going to do things that way. That also affects your God container as well. That also affects how much room you give for God to reign and to work in your life. If you believe that, say amen. And see, there are these three dimensions to your God container. What you philosophically think about God, how you personally relate to God, and how you practically live for God. And these three dimensions are going to affect and determine the size of your God container, how much room you give for God to reign and work in your life. And see, whether, if you, if you had to kind of compare your God container to anything today, I don't know what you would compare it to. Is it maybe for you it's a jewelry box, right? Kind of small, really hard hard to open, you know, a little bit of space, often closed. Is that your God container? Or maybe your God container is like an old shoebox. It's been there for a while. It's kind of practically falling apart. It's kind of weak. Maybe your God container is this water bottle. It's very sturdy. It's very handy. You can use it quite often. Or maybe your God container, you, can care, you would compare it to like a big, luxurious swimming pool. It's huge, but you hardly use it. 
right? Maybe what maybe your God container is one of those things, but the fact is this, the size of your God container and the quality of your God container matters. See, your God container, the size of it, the quality of it, it's going to affect so much how much of God you experience in your lifetime. The size of your God container, the quality of your God container is going to affect things like you know, how much peace you have when you're going through difficult times, how much hope you have when there's uncertainties that you're facing when it comes to tomorrow, how much wisdom you have to access when you're trying to make tough decisions, how much you're able to impact others in a positive way, your wife, your husband, your kids, your friends around you, how much you're blessed and how much you're a blessing. This all has to do with with the size and the quality of your God container. And so the question is not, do I have a God container? Actually, the question is, is my God container a good container? And see, today, I'm not just saying it. I believe Jesus is saying it through the passage we were talking about today. Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 22 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice one more time. One, two, three, it says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees are, are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and all on that day, they will fast. See, what, what's going on here? See, you got to understand that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking this earth, in Israel, there were these two major religious movements that are going on. There is one group called the Pharisees. Everyone said the Pharisees. And there's another group called John the Baptist Disciples. Everyone say John the Baptist. And see, these two groups had very different approaches to God. But one thing that they both had in common was they both fasted. John the Baptist and his disciples, they fasted probably once a year in accordance with Leviticus 16.29, talking about the Day of Atonement. We fast on that day. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they would fast often. They would fast, in fact, twice a week, Monday and Thursday were their fasting days every single week. And see, these two groups are fasting, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene with his disciples, and Jesus doesn't fast. He doesn't fast the way that John the Baptist is fasting. He doesn't fast the way that the Pharisees are fasting. And John the Baptist and his disciples, the Pharisees, they're all confused. Like, you don't fast? What's wrong with you? Like, isn't that what any good, spiritual, faithful, religious person would do? And Jesus, his response is really interesting. He says that we don't fast when the groom is here. We fast when the groom is gone. And see, what is, he, is Jesus talking about? He's saying that in this time when he's on the earth, this is a special time of celebration because Jesus, the one who came to give us life, the one who came to die on the cross for our sins, the one who came to be our savior that no one else could be, he is here, and because he's here, it's reason to celebrate. Amen. And that's the thing about Jesus. If you've got Jesus in your life, every single day of your life, no matter what you're going through, you've got a reason to rejoice. You've got a reason to celebrate. It's because you've made room for God in your life. And Jesus Christ, he is the king. And if you've got him in his life, you've got reason to celebrate. Turn to him and say, you've got reason to celebrate. You've got reason to celebrate. And see, for the, for the disciples of John the Baptist, for the Pharisees, they had a tough time understanding it. They're like, why don't you fast? It's because what they had, were they, they, they had their own old God containers, which said religion looks a certain way. Faith must look a certain way. And that includes fasting. If you don't fast, then there's something wrong with you. And Jesus wasn't against fasting. In fact, he would say that later on, when the groom is gone, when Jesus dies, he rises again, he sends to heaven, that time is when the disciples will fast. That's why we will fast from time to time. But the thing that Jesus is trying to say here is this. Don't try to put me into an old God 
container. In fact, look at verse 21. Verse 21, does it say? It says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Verse 22, and no one, do you guys have it? Read with me, read with me a big loud voice, proactive church. One, two, three, it says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying, hey, when you've got an old, brittle, fragile wineskin that you put old wine into, you don't take new, unfermented wine and you pour it into there because you know what's going to happen? The wine is going to expand. It's going to destroy that old wineskin. What you need is a new container. Everyone say a new container. What you need is take new wine and put it in a new container so that it can contain the new thing that you're putting in there. In the same way, Jesus is saying, you can't put me in a box. You can't put me in some old container of what you think God is supposed to be or what you think religion is supposed to be. But you need to realize, if you want to know who I am, if you want to experience the blessing that comes from knowing me, you got to have a brand new container to put me in, to put your faith in, to put your understanding in. If you believe us, say amen. It's the importance of a brand new container. And that's what he was talking about to the Pharisees and to the John's disciples 2,000 years ago. But how many of you guys know this? The Pharisees and John the Baptist disciples, they weren't, they're not the only ones who are trying to put new wine in an old wineskin. The fact is, a lot of us do that today, 2,000 years later. The fact is that a lot of people, they'll say something. Have you heard someone say this? All religions are the same. You know, they're, they're not really that different. They're all just about, you know, all religions are about just being a good person, doing good, maybe connecting with some kind of higher power. That's really what it's all about, isn't it? Just, it doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or you, you make up your own faith, you're some new age person. It doesn't matter because it's all the same. Have you heard that before? Have you thought that before? See, here's the thing. Jesus, if you're doing that today, then I'm going to put to you today that you're trying to put new wine in an old wineskin. Because the fact is this, Jesus didn't come just to show his version of the truth, and I'm just going to put my version of the truth alongside everyone else's version of the truth, and we're all going to just be one big mosaic of this truth that's bigger than Jesus. No, Jesus is saying, you know what? You need a new container for me. And let me give you just one example. When you study religions in this world, you're going to find that most religions will say, if you want to get to God, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be you know, you know, enlightened, if you want to experience nirvana, if you want to even become your own God, some religions teach, that it's all about what you have to do to get to God. If you're a good enough person, if you try hard enough, if you help enough, enough old people across the street, if you pray hard enough, if you do all these good things, that maybe, maybe, maybe just God is going to look at you, and he's going to look at all the good things you did, and go, yeah, you qualify for heaven. You qualify to be with me. That's what most religions teach. Even, in fact, pop culture basically teaches that as well. When you hear people say, oh yeah, he's probably in heaven right now because he was such a good person. He helped so many people, usually disregarding the stuff, that the bad stuff that we or they did. We kind of say that. We think, oh, we can merit heaven that way. When you read and when you listen to what Jesus says about God, about heaven, about hell, about the afterlife, about the purpose of life today, you're going to find it is totally different from every other religion you're going to find. Is that whereas every other religion is about what I have to do to get to God, Jesus is about what you don't need to do, but what God has already done for you. It's about how when we had no way of reaching God on our own, when we were separated from God because all of us have turned away, when we had no way of qualifying in front of God by our own merit, 
God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. God sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty that we deserve. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice, because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God. But because God loved us, because you matter to God, because God couldn't bear to spend eternity without you, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins because he loves you. Turn your neighbor and say, that's how God loves you. And when we place our trust in Jesus, not in what we do, but we place our trust in Jesus, it's new wine in a new wineskin. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here this place right now. That's what Jesus does for you and for me. Oh, come on. If you're going to give Jesus a clap, give him a big clap in this place. Amen. And so don't try to put new wine in old wineskin. Don't try to put Jesus into this box that's together with everyone else. Because the fact is this. You will look at different religions. So many people throughout history have started religions. You know, you got Siddhartha Gautama started Buddhism. You have, you know, Muhammad started Islam. You have A.C. Swanee started the Hare Krishna movement. Every one of them, when they were living, they said a whole bunch of things about God. Made all these different claims about this is how you should live. This is what you need to do if you want a good afterlife. They said all these things. And then they died and you never heard from them again. The only one who didn't do that is Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, not only did he say a whole bunch of things about God, about what you need to do if you want to go to heaven, about all these things, but he not only died, but he rose again to show that you can count on what Jesus says, that you can count on the words that Jesus speaks, and that you can count on, what he, on the work that Jesus has done for you and for me. If you believe that, say amen. To prove that the God container that Jesus is offering is something you can count on, Jesus rose again. Now, what's the lesson here? Is that when your God container is not working properly, when there are holes in your God container that start to appear, when that God container you've been using is not able to contain all that God is and all that God wants to do in your life, then what you need is a new container. Sometimes the thing we need most in life is a new God container. Let me tell you a little bit about my cousin Sid. As I mentioned to you earlier today, that this past week and this past month have been intense because we've had you know, people who are dear to us who passed away. One of them, one of them is my cousin Sid. He's younger than me. He's 35 years old. And uh, you know, it was one of those things where suddenly, without anyone expecting, he passed away, most likely of a heart attack. Um, and here's the thing. Sid was such an interesting guy. Loved the guy. Um, but one of the things that he struggled with, uh, especially during college and in his early years in adulthood, he had these preconceived ideas that Christianity is this old, backward religion, and that the Bible is full of myths. It's not relevant to our lives today. And it was one of those things where he carried this God container with him that really, there wasn't, there wasn't really much room for God to work in his life during that time with that God container. But then, just a few months ago, Sid met this girl called Mary. And to borrow the title of a famous comedy movie in Hollywood, there's just something about Mary. There was something about Mary for my cousin Sid, where not only was it the way she looked, but it was also just the way she carried herself, the way that she would deal with stress, the way that she would interact with people, the way that she would seem to have just joy, even when times were tough. There's something about her that just made him think, man, I want what you're having. And as a result, they start having these conversations. And in these conversations, Mary was a Christian. And, and in these conversations, you know, Mary and Sid would have, it would start to really challenge his God container in a gentle way. She wasn't trying to go after him in any kind of way. But just spending time with her made him realize, maybe there's something wrong with my God container. And, you know, one day, Mary gave him a Bible, started reading his Bible. And one day, just a few weeks later, um, you know, Sid passed away. And I can remember it was on a Friday, just two Fridays ago, when Sid, who's, uh, Sid's mom, who's my aunt, she 
uh, you know, sent me a text because we're getting ready for his memorial service. And she's like, and, and, and he said, hey, you got to see this. And I, I looked at my phone, and, and what I got from my aunt was this picture that I'm going to show you in just a minute. See, my, my, my cousin's mom was going through Sid's things in his apartment. And what she saw was something that really touched her heart, is that she found this book called The Search for Significance, a book also given to her by his friend Mary, which is a famous Christian book that talks a lot about your value, like how, how God looks at you how, you, how how you matter to God, your identity in God. And when she opened the book, there's all these highlighted pages and notes in the margins. Not just that, but inside the book were all these index cards. You know those you know, index cards, like cue cards that we use, like you know, old school back in the 80s and 90s, you had these cue cards used for speeches. I don't know if you maybe use your phone now. But he, he had these all these index cards. And with his own handwriting, he wrote a couple things that I want to show you right now. And they, like after reading the Bible himself, after starting to go to church with Mary, this is what he wrote. And we're going to close up on it right now. It says this. If you can't read it, let me just read it to you. What does he say? It says, he wrote this in his own handwriting. This is his handwriting. This is Sid's handwriting. He says, because of Christ and his redemption, I'm completely forgiven and fully pleasing to God. I am totally accepted by God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Can you give God a big, big hand for that? And then... On the next index card that he wrote, there's these two verses from the Bible, which he wrote down in his own handwriting again. And you can close up on it as well. In case you can't read it, let me read it for you. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians 1, 21, 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you go from being a sinner who is disqualified from heaven to someone through the blood of Jesus who is without blemish and free from accusation. And that was the faith that Sid died with. And what was he doing on that day? He was changing God containers. And the reason I bring this up with you today is because there are two lessons that I learned from Sid's passing. The first lesson I learned is that life is short, life is precious, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And so you want to cherish the people in your lives. You want to hug them a little bit more tightly. You want to tell them, I love you, a little bit more often. That's the first lesson. The second lesson is that sometimes you need to change God containers. Sometimes the God container that you've been using is simply not enough. It's simply not big enough. It's simply not strong enough to hold everything that God wants to do in and through your life. If you believe us, say amen. In other words, sometimes it's time to change God containers. In other words, sometimes it's time to make new room for God in your life. And I want to put it to you this way, because when we're talking about changing God containers, really we're talking about one thing, which is make room for God in your life. If you want to experience more of God this coming year, as you begin a brand new season, as many of you go to school in September, as many of you guys start new jobs, as many of you are newly married, as many of you expect new babies, as you start new chapters in your lives, if you want to experience God's highest blessing and presence in your lives in this coming new season that you're starting in this next step that you're taking then you need to make new room for God to your neighbor and say I'm making room I'm making room see if you say oh yeah I want to experience God yeah I want to get to know God yeah I want to grow spiritually but if you do nothing about the way that you're spending time you don't change anything about the way you live you don't change anything about the way you relate to God then guess what nothing's going to happen no change whatsoever because what you need to do is if you want new wineskin, you don't put it, you, if, you don't, if you want new wine, you don't put it in an old wineskin, you put it in a new God container. Amen.
Look at Psalm 81, verses 9 and 10 with me. Read it with me, the big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, You shall have no foreign God among you. You shall not bow down to an alien God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. See, what's the lesson here? What's the Psalms saying to us here? It's that how much of God you experience in this coming season of your life is going to depend so much on the amount of room you give to God this coming season. God is not going to fill your life any more than you let him, because God is a gentleman. He's not going to take over and home invade your life unless you say, God, take the room. Take that. Take this room in my life. Take this room in my house. And when you do, he is more than happy to do it. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it, he says. And so how in this new season do we make new room for God this coming year? Let's start with the basic, basic, basic stuff, and we're going to move on from there. Number one, you can write this down. If you want to make new room for God this coming year, invite Jesus Christ into your life. Invite Jesus Christ into your life. See, making room for God to work and reign in your life begins with you saying, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. His name is Jesus. And what you're doing is basically you are trading containers. You're saying, in the past, I had this old, rickety, fragile God container that's all about my performance and my hard work and my pride and what I do and how good I think I am. And I hope somehow that God's going to fill this. Now you're trading it for a brand new, much sturdier, much stronger, much bigger God container, which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. He rose again from the grave. He's given me his Holy Spirit, and the best is yet to come. Come on, if you believe it, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what you're doing. You're trading God containers. You're inviting Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 with me right now. What does it say? It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Number two, if you want to make new room in your life for God to come and reign and to work in your life, number two, get baptized. Everyone say, get baptized. That's what we witnessed just minutes ago, and it was amazing. See, baptism, what is baptism? Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. Baptism is you simply saying, I need a Savior, and his name is Jesus. I've received him to my life. And to signify that decision, to solidify it, we get you in water, you get dipped in water as a way to say, I've died to myself. I've got a new life in Jesus. That's what baptism is. Look at Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16 with me. What does it say? It says, he said to them, go into all the world and pray. Preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus' own words, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Huh, interesting. You know, this baptism pool, I love this baptism pool. Do you know why? It's warm, it looks good, but how many of you guys know we only use this twice so far in the history of Thrive Church? When we started Thrive Church 12 years ago, do you know what our first baptism pool was? It was Minaru Aquatic Center, just down the street from here. Then, you know, we went to Water Mania, where we baptized people in the teach pool. And then just for fun, we'd go off the high diving board as well. Um, we used a kiddie pool for the longest time. Where, you know, inflatable kiddie pools that are like this high, where you actually have to kind of sit and do a sit-up if you want to get baptized. That's what we used. Uh, you know, we used all sorts of ones. Finally, there came a time where, we're like, you know, it would be great to get our own baptism pool. And our team was so creative. Like, yeah, you know what? Let's make our own baptism pool. And that's exactly what they did. They got this huge tarp. Uh, and, and what they did was they surrounded it with plywood wood and it basically was a big bag full of water is what it was and and we put plywood around it and they, they, they kept it together with paper clips I'm not kidding they're paper clips all right but for some reason it held for like seven eight different baptism services that we did the only problems there were two problems one is that one was a, is that there was no heater so the water was crazy cold 
Oh my goodness! It was like kind of, kind of like you know, it was this crazy, crazy cool. And so, if back then, that during that season of Thrive Church, if you really, if you want to get baptized, you really want to get baptized because it was so cool. Some people would get in the water and they'd be ah, they're so they're screaming so much because it was so cool. Finally, we're you know what? We can't we can't keep doing this. Uh, the fact was that not only was it super cold, but the pool itself started to crack. There were these cracks in the boards, and like oh my, we don't want a flood to ever happen during a baptism service. And so we're like, okay, let's go and invest the money, and we're gonna go and get a heated baptism pool that's portable and voila here we have our baptism pool oh and it is heated oh praise god for that and the fact is this the fact is this why am i sharing that with you it's just another it's just another example that as you progress in your faith you need a new container amen you need a new container because you're not, if you just stick with your old container this whole time, you, you're going to find it's going to crack. It might be really cold, and you're going to find you're not going to progress. You need a new container. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a new container. Number three, make room in your schedule to learn about Jesus. See, now we're getting into more of the nitty-gritty right now. See, if you want to make room for God this coming year, it's not just about receiving Jesus into your life. That's great. That's awesome, but that's not enough. It's not about getting baptized. That's great. That's awesome. That's not enough. Number three, make room in your schedule to learn about Jesus. Since one of the dimensions of your God container is what you believe about God, it's your beliefs, you want to take time to grow in your knowledge of who God is. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 with me. It says this. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. See, how do you do that? How do you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord? Well, one is you come to church. You go to, you plug yourself into a good church where there's, they teach the Bible well, where you learn more about who God is and about Jesus. That's one way to do it. And it's important if you don't have a home church yet, find a home church. We'd love to be your home church if you don't have one. The second thing that I'm going to challenge you, encourage you, urge you to do this coming year, especially if you haven't already, is to do something called Thrive Discipleship School. And Thrive Discipleship School is a homemade program that we have been using here for years at Thrive where we teach you the habits of growing in your relationship with God. TDS Level 1 is about salvation. It's about getting to know God. It's about your baptism. It's about forgiveness. It's about all those things, the basics of Christianity. And then in Level 2 of TDS, we do something where we talk about the habits of growing in your relationship with God. What experiences do you need to grow in your relationship with God? And we've had amazing feedback. We do this, you know, throughout the year, uh, and we do a special, you know, intense version uh, every year in October, and we're going to do that again this coming year. But here's one guy who wrote his experience about from TDS2. We asked him, how did God use TDS2 throughout the subsequent school level 2 to grow your relationship with God, and how did you experience God during TDS2? He wrote this. He said, God clarified the meaning and importance of love, the Bible, speaking in tongues, and more ways to experience him through scripture, songs, prayer, church, loving our church family through TDS2. It was amazing to experience the Holy Spirit during TDS2 and feeling his presence during our classes. God has given me a sense of inner peace and calm that was very comforting and soothing even while I was going through some struggles with work and relationships. And then we asked him, so what would you say to someone who's considering taking Thrive Disciples School Level 2 but is not sure? He says, just take a leap of faith and do it. It is guaranteed to improve your knowledge of Christianity and grow your relationship with God while growing yourself. Can we give God a big, big hand for that? That's just one of so many people who shared their good experiences coming from Thrive Deceptive School, and we're going to be starting it again in October. You can go to mythrive.info for more information on that. We've got TDS Level 1 and Level 2 coming up. Make sure if you want to call Thrive Church your home church that you get involved in TDS Level 1. If you want to grow in your faith and experience more of God and get a big God container for Him, then take TDS Level 2. Number four, if you want to make new room for 
God in this place in this coming year, then the next thing you want to, I want you to write down is this. Make spending time with God your priority. Everyone say, my priority. See, what are we talking about here? We're talking about that second dimension of your God container, which is how you relate to God. We're talking about your relationship. And see, since it's about your relationship with God, you're not just here to know about God, but you're here to know God. And so to know God, how do you do that? You spend time with God. And see, one of the things that we talk about often here at Thrive is our game time. If you know what the game stands for, say it with me. The game stands for the God and me experience. It's the idea that you're not just meant to spend time with God on a Sunday morning, but you were made to spend time with God every single day to draw near to him, to experience his presence, to read his word, to grow in that way. And that's why every single day as a church, we will have our game time together. We'll read a Bible passage together. You can get a game booklet at the end of the service. And then I'll send you an email saying, hey, in case you're not really sure what to learn from this passage, this is what I learned from this passage. Hope it encourages you. This is our game time. But there's another way that you could grow in your relationship with God by spending time with God and making a priority. And that's this, is this make room this coming year in your schedule to relate to other Christians. What I'm talking about is small group. Everyone say small group. See, speaking of small group, in fact, a couple weeks ago, because here at Thrive, we've got a lot of different small groups for different ages, different demographics, uh, you know, like depending on what, what stage in life you're at. And just a couple weeks ago, we launched another small group, uh, and this is for the people in our church who are over 50 years old. Although here at Thrive, we say there's only three ages. You're either eight, 18, or 28. I don't care what your birth certificate says. We're all young in the house of God. Amen. And so we call this group, which is for 50 plus, we call them our strong 28s. All right, and this is a first picture of their very first gathering together, which happened this past Thursday. Let's give God a big hand for that. That's our strong 28s. Oh, come on, give them a big shout as well. Come on, let's encourage them today. And so the strong 28s, they met, and if you're in that age category of 50 plus and you want to join or you just feel old, you can, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You, you can join them as well. They're not old at all. They, 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 they're, they're great. We love them so much, and uh, we are so glad. And the reason why I show that picture and I tell you about the strong 28s is because the importance of small groups in the church. Everyone say small groups. The fact is this, is that if you come here to Thrive, you call Thrive Church your home church, you come here on a Sunday service, but you don't connect with anyone in a small group, this is what your experience at Thrive is going to be like. You might have a great time in our Sunday service, you might learn something, you might hear something that helps you in the service, but you're going to find that when it comes to relationships, you are superficially connected with everybody, but you're not closely connected with anybody. And when there is a sickness, when, you go to, when someone in your home is in the hospital, when there's an accident, when you need prayer... You're not going to hear from anyone because you haven't connected yourself with anybody. For some reason, you've just kind of amputated yourself as a part of the body and just kind of been on your own. What you need is to be connected with the rest of the body. And you do that through small groups. Amen. Amen. Even with you know, our dear Winston, who passed away just a couple weeks ago, you know who, was, who were the first people to go to the crash site of the accident? It was his small group. It was the people in his small group because it's small groups that are the building block of the church. If you are here and you've been coming to church, church, Thrive Church for even years, but you've never been part of a small group, you're basically, your experience at Thrive is basically half of what it should be. Because God didn't make you simply to have a vertical relationship with God. It's all about me and God, me and God. God made you to have a horizontal relationship with other believers because that's the cross and that's how you grow. Amen. 
And so if you're not part of a small group, the thing I want to challenge you to do starting today, go to mythrob.info and sign up for a small group. You're going to find it's going to help you so much. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. In a big, loud voice, would you repeat it with me? It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart. Stop right there. Notice what happens. This is the church, the early church, the church that Jesus started. And what happens? They meet in the temple courts. That's here, right here, right now. Big gathering of God. God's people, we worship God together, but then they also met elsewhere. Where did they meet? They met in homes where they broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You need both. You need the big gathering. You need the small group because faith was never intended just to be big crowds, individual. You're meant to have relationships with other people, and that's how you grow. That's how you make room for God. That's called a new container. If you believe us, say amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Number five, we're going to close, is that if you want to make new room for God this coming year, don't just get in a small group. Don't just make room for God and by learning and you know, being part of TDS too. I want you to do that as well, but here's something just as important. Make room in your schedule to serve God. Make room in your schedule to serve God. See, what we're talking about here is the third dimension of your God container. It's your lifestyle, how you live how you use your time. They say that you can see what is most important in a person's life primarily by looking at two things, looking at their calendar and looking at their wallet. Is that you can tell, practically speaking, what matters to a person most by how they spend their time. And I want to encourage you to make room in your schedule to serve God. The fact is this, part of God giving God room in your life to work is realizing that the things that you have in your life today, the time, the talents, the good looks, the friendships, the opportunities, the experiences, the lessons, everything that you have in life is not simply yours for your pleasure, your experience, your resume, your reputation, your happiness. But God gives you those things because he has a greater purpose in mind. In fact, when God gives you those things, he gives it to you not so you can be the owner of those things, but that you can be the trustee or the manager of those things. Ultimately, those talents that are in your hand right now, those aren't yours. Those are God's. Amen. And what you're doing is you are a steward of those things. And that's partly how you grow. See, here at Thrive Church, we have a saying. We say that I is for involved. It means we're here to serve God with our talents. Because we believe every single person here was called to be a servant of God. That you would use what God has given to you, entrusted to you, to serve him in his kingdom. And that's because you don't just grow by listening to sermons and coming to church. You don't just grow by talking with people. But what you do, you grow by doing. You grow by serving. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 to 11. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Stop right there. See, we grow by serving. Turn your neighbor and say, you, that's how you grow. You grow not just by listening. You grow not just by, you know, watching sermons. You grow not just by listening to podcasts. You grow by serving. See, earlier this year, I broke my foot. In fact, that's why I'm sitting right now. Praise God, my foot is getting better and better. The doctors have looked at x-rays. They're like, you're, you're like almost healed now. In fact, I was jumping on the stage last week, if you saw me. And some of you are like, oh, he's jumping on the stage. I'm concerned. But the fact is that I'm getting better and better. But I'm still sitting just to be safe today. But the fact is this, I got to admit to you, um, maybe partly my own vanity or maybe whatever it is, but when I broke my foot, there was a part of me that didn't want to start gaining uh, a lot of weight and getting fat because uh, I just want to look a certain way. And you know, that, 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 that's my vanity, I guess, you know. But the thing is this, is because I exercise quite a bit, I couldn't do the exercises that I normally do. 
I couldn't you know, lift weights the way I used to lift weights. I couldn't run at all. And so I had to find new ways of exercising. I would use this rowing machine. You know, have you seen those rowing machines before where you know, you're on the seat and it really hurts your butt, but you just do the best you can with it, and you're just kind of going this way all the time, this way. And you know, because of my foot, I can't, couldn't really extend my leg that much. So very often, I was just kind of doing sit-ups on this thing. And, and was it uncomfortable? Yeah, it was a bit uncomfortable. Was it awkward? It was a bit awkward. But the fact was this, is that I, didn't, I wanted to keep that up because I didn't want to just get fat and get unhealthy. I wanted to keep on exercising. And why do I mention that? Uh, it's because serving God is like exercise. Serving God is like exercise. It's how you build your spiritual muscles. See, physically, if all you do is eat and eat and eat, but you never exercise, you never get good rest, you never take good care of your body, you're going to be extremely, extremely unhealthy. But see, spiritually, it works the same way. Is if all you do is consume sermons. All you do is you come to church, you sit in your seat, and you listen to someone else talk. And that's all there is to your relationship with God. Guess what? You're going to become spiritually fat. You're going to be in this place where you have these big ears, big stomachs, little hands, little feet. That's what's going to happen. And that's not a healthy Christian. See, you weren't made just to take things in. You were made to give. That's how you grow. Amen. And, and so, you know, let me give you an example. Here at Thrive, really practical example. Here we're a church of about 300 people. And in this church of 300 people, guess how many people serve on a Sunday morning? How, how big is our Sunday service roster on a Sunday? How many people? Can you guess? Anyone want to guess? If you know, don't say it. But if you, know, if you, if you don't know and you want to guess, guess. Any, any idea? Any idea? Some say, you know, what, like, you know, 100, 200, 250, 299? No, 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 no. See, we, we have our serving roster on Sundays is 100 people. 100 people. And you're going to find this. Sometimes I'll drive to our parking lot, and I'll see the same people, you know, like working hard to put signs in the lawn and to, like, get our parking spaces ready and to get coffee together and to, you know, click on our PowerPoint. And, and here's the thing is about one-third of us serves on a Sunday. About two-thirds of us sit on a Sunday. And I want to encourage you today, church, is that if you want to make new room for God this coming year, is that you want to go from serve us to service. Let me say it again. You want to go from serve us to service. Amen is that it's not just about, oh, give me a good sermon to make me cry. You know, give me a good song to sing. You know, give me a good refreshment to eat. But it's about how can I give what God has given to me so that I can give and be a blessing, so I can build spiritual muscle, so I can be a blessing to my church. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here at this place right now. It's about going from serve us to serve this. Because you're going to find this. The measure of your maturity as a follower of Jesus is not so much how many Bible verses you know. It's not so like how long you've been attending church. In many ways, the measure of your maturity as a Christian is how you serve. Do you serve humbly? Do you serve wisely? Do you serve passionately? Do you serve with all your heart? Do you serve with excellence? Or do you just kind of like, oh, it's just volunteering. I'll just, I, I can be late, no big deal. Oh, I'll skip today because, you, know, you know, people don't understand how busy I am. See, how you serve is a measure of your maturity in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you're one of the two-thirds, you're one of the 200 people in our church who uh, are basically served on a Sunday, but you're not on our serving team roster, can I encourage you? to do something this coming season. Even do something today. You go to mythrive.info and you go to our serving sign-up page where you can sign up for a ministry. And you might be, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm sure 
that even if you've got a broken heart today, there is something you can do. I had a broken foot. I could still find a way to exercise. You might have a broken heart today. You might feel, oh, but I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. Well, that's okay. You can photocopy stuff. That's okay. You can hand out a pamphlet. That's okay. You can serve food to the poor. You can do that. You don't need to be completely healthy to do that. We're all broken. We're all getting better. We're all being transformed to the image of Jesus. We will never be perfect until the day we see Jesus face to face. But that doesn't keep us from serving. If anything, it should encourage us to serve. Amen. Jesus even says in Proverbs, he says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And so stop sitting on your butt, two-thirds. Stop just being a consumer, two-thirds. Stop being a spectator, two-thirds. Stop being fat, two-thirds. Instead, two-thirds, get serving. Because when you get serving, that's when you grow. Get serving, because when you serve, that's when you build your church. Get serving, because when you serve, that's when you make more room for God to reign and to work in your life. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Come on. Go to mythrive.info. You can sign up for that. Finally, 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 finally. Last point for you. You can write this down. When you step out in faith, you make room for God to work. When you step out in faith, you make room for God to work. You know, five years ago, we, uh, you know, we decided to take over this property that we're in right now, this building that we're in right now. And I got to be transparent with you guys, and I shared this with some of you before. Five years ago, we didn't have the money for the rent for this place. You know, we had savings, but we didn't want to dip in our savings. We didn't have the money to pay for the monthly rent that was coming in. But as we prayed, we really sensed God say, fight for this property. And so even if it meant doing, getting into a bidding war with other people, we fought for this property. And five years ago, in June of 2014, we signed a lease to say we're going to take this property over for five years, even though we didn't know where rent was going to come for that next month. But we just trusted God that if we step on the faith, we make room for him, that he's going to provide. And you know, over those first next few months, it was a little bit anxious. We're like, oh, okay, all right. But by the end of that first year, praise God, our church had grown and God had provided for us financially such that we had more than enough to cover our rent. We had enough to expand to another unit. We had enough to hire more staff. Praise God for all of that. Give God a big, big hand here in this place. It's because when you make room... When you step out in faith, you make room for God to work. And now, you know, we're actually expanding to this next door unit right here. This is going to be our new kids center, uh, and we're excited about that. It also is a step of faith because five years ago and now rents are not the same. And so it's a step of faith for us once again. But we trust that when we step out in faith, we give God room to work, and we're going to see him do greater things than ever before. If you believe us, say amen. Question for you today as we end especially for those of you who are preparing for new seasons in your life, starting a new school, maybe a new relationship, maybe a new chapter of your life, I'm here to tell you today is make room for Jesus. Get a new God container. What change do you need to make in the way you use your time, in the way you live your life, that will give God more room to work in your life so that you can experience more of him in your life? Let's all stand as we close off our time in prayer today. Would you turn your neighbor on your right and your left in front of you, behind you, give them a high five and say, I'm making new room.